0: As we continue in our verses series, as we talk about things that can sometimes be in conflict with one another, um, Pastor Darrell, I am told, uh, brought a great word last week about the flesh versus the spirit, and uh, over 40 people signed up for his class on discipleship training, Uh, so praise God. We are always growing, always learning always in need of understanding who we are in Christ, what our identity is, so that we can better fight, uh, not for the victory, because we already have it, but to fight to experience the victory that Christ has won for us. So thank you, Pastor Darrell, for filling in last week. Uh, my wife and I took some time away. Um, the elders, uh, there are elders who are on a committee called Pastoral Care, and they recognized that we had been grinding pretty hard since uh june and going 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 to get us to the place where we are now we thank god for his grace and his strength uh but they also said pastor you need to take a break so i took their word and i took my wife to cancun for about six days yeah Uh, almost didn't come back but uh (laughs) but no there's no place like home no place like home amen All right, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, We're going to talk today on a topic that can be very uh, difficult. Uh, But as Christians, we don't shy away from tough topics. Uh, We face them. Um, Today I want to discuss divorce. I want to talk about divorce. Discussing divorce can be difficult because... There are many different perspectives, opinions, and experiences among people. Um, If we have not been divorced, we all know someone who has been divorced, someone in our family. We may come from a divorced home. Um, Divorce is very prevalent. Christians have been divided on this topic for centuries There are those who believe divorce should never happen under any circumstance. But then there are those who believe that divorce can happen for any reason. And so that's the verses today. Divorce for no reason versus divorce for any reason. That's what I want to try to get into today. And I am not here to solve the debate. Because there are many good Christians on both sides of the fence as far as those who believe that there should never be a cause for divorce. But then there are those who go a little too far and say that there can be divorce for any reason. Well, I'm not here to try to solve this debate, especially not in one sermon. But I simply believe that somewhere in the balance, somewhere in the middle between these two extremes is where we belong. Let me pray and ask God for some help. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? Holy Spirit, would you bring these scriptures to light for us? Some of us are going to be reminded of truths that we have known for a long time. Some of us are going to be introduced to things that we've never heard before. But Lord, I pray that whatever the case, we would all be students of the Bible, not just in here, but above all, in our homes that we would sit down with you, that we would be intentional to take time to not only have devotion time, but also Bible study time, so we can be workers who don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but also to be Christians who will not be blown here and there by every wind of doctrine that comes along today. But may we be rooted not only in the gospel, but in the basic theological premises that are found in the word, one of which is marriage and divorce. So, Father, help me to teach your people, because above all, you're the one that will do the teaching. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn to Matthew chapter 19, we will see how Jesus walked in the balance between the extremes that were present in his day He was able to walk in the balance without compromising God's standard. And that is my prayer as a pastor. Whenever I sit down with a couple, because every case is different. You can't cookie cut an answer, a position to the people. I must have a sound understanding of marriage and divorce. But I have to also be flexible when people come in, because, again, every case has different nuances and pieces to it. And I don't ever want to be accused of just trying to cookie-cut an answer or give someone a pat answer. I want to sit and first listen and listen well, as well as I can, um, to what a couple is going through and be able to present a balanced word from God. Um, And I've learned that although I may do my best to present a balanced word, that doesn't mean that people will hear it. That doesn't mean people will receive it. Um, But Jesus, somehow, he walked in the balance of these extremes in his day. He did not compromise the standard of God's word. Neither did he excuse or vilify divorced people. I pray that God will give us the same grace and wisdom that he gave to Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, it says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, That he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Let's just stop right here and just say, what sayings did Jesus just finish communicating? Because when we read the Bible, we want to know what happened beforehand. So we want to go back. We want to know what's going on ahead of time. So we want to read forward. We want to read holistically and not just in small pieces or taking a verse because we'll be tempted to take it out of context. So when we look at the historical aspects of this text, what were the sayings that he just finished communicating? Well, if we had the time, we would look into Matthew 18 to see that he talked about the kingdom of God, and he talked about how adults need to become like children and humble themselves in order to experience the kingdom. So he talked about humbling oneself. He even talked about offenses in chapter 18, that offenses are going to come, but don't let Don't you be the person that those offenses come through. Then he talked about the lost sheep. He dealt in uh, chapter 18, verse 15, what to do with a sinning brother or a sinning sister. That if someone has sinned against you and they don't come to you and apologize, you go to them and you lovingly confront them. If they hear what you say, then you've won your brother or your sister. If they don't hear what you say, Jesus said, bring along one or two others So that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter can be established. Because the goal is for community to be able to go forth. Um, Community that is at peace with one another in harmony. Um, And so if the person hears the company that comes, praise the Lord. But if they don't, Jesus said, that's when you tell it to the church, to the assembly. And then the assembly approaches the sinning person. And hopefully the sinning person will hear the church and praise God. But if they don't, Jesus said, well, at that point, you have to treat them as an unbeliever. Church discipline. Then he goes into uh, verses 21 through the end of chapter 18, talking about forgiveness. And he gives a parable about a man that had been forgiven a great debt, uh, millions of dollars in modern day terms. Um, He was forgiven of this debt. But then he went out and he found someone that owed him chump change. And rather than releasing that person from the debt the way he was released from the debt, he ends up beating and choking the person. And so uh, when the person who had forgiven the man much found out that the man did not forgive someone of little, then that person punished uh, the man who did not forgive and so Jesus was trying to teach a parable to us to say, we should forgive as we have been forgiven. God has forgiven us of much. We need to forgive others of the little that they have sinned against us. Um, the disciples asked the question, okay, Lord, I get you, but I, uh, we're taught that you're to do that seven times. Once somebody crosses the seventh time, I forgive you seven times, but on the eighth time, I'm crossing you out. But then Jesus said, no, don't count. Uh, seven times 70, you know, don't don't even count, forgive, be people of forgiveness. Let that mark you, let that uh, be something that is a characteristic of who you are. So when you think about what Jesus is talking about in chapter 18, he's talking about conflict resolution. He's talking about how to work through differences because people will offend you and you will offend people. (laughs) Um, You will need to forgive people and people will need to forgive you. You need to be humble uh, in order to see the kingdom because you all know what happens when we get prideful. So he's teaching. So after all of these sayings, uh, then we're getting into the discussion on divorce. Because I've learned that when we start talking about divorce, we forget all these sayings about mercy and forgiveness and how to properly confront someone and hear someone, all of that. But then I also find it interesting that after the discussion on divorce is had in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we see in verses 13 through 15, Jesus then talks about children. So if you were to build a sandwich around divorce, you see that he's talking a lot about conflict resolution and then children. Because too often when we are talking about divorce and we're frustrated and we're ready to make a decision to end our marriage, we forget what Jesus said about conflict resolution and we forget what he has said about children. And our children are the ones who suffer. Yes, we suffer in our marriages, but our children suffer as well. So Jesus is saying, just don't think about yourself. Oh boy, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a good word for us. And so let's get into it again. Chapter 19 of Matthew. So after these sayings, uh, verse 2, a great multitude followed him and he healed them there. Oh, praise God. He still heals. He still heals hurting people. He still cares for us. Verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason. Can you see that in verse 3? Well, the Pharisees or the religious leaders, they came to Jesus to test him. They didn't come to Jesus to learn. They didn't come to Jesus to gain insight. They came to Jesus in order to test him or to trick him or to trip him up. They tested him because they wanted to see what school of thought Jesus belonged to. Now, you have the rabbis, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. They followed different schools of thought on different biblical or theological premises. Just as people today may follow John Calvin and say, I'm a Calvinist, or people may follow Charles Swindoll or John MacArthur because they like their slant or their bent on certain topics. Well, it was no different in Jesus' day because there were some rabbis. One was named Hillel. And Hillel, when it came to the topic of marriage and divorce, he had a very liberal view on it. He was the one who believed that you could get divorced for any and every reason. And if we were to look at various passages in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are Jewish writings of antiquity back in the day, you would see various things written that come from this school of thought or this way of thinking. There are passages that speak of a man can get rid of his wife if she does not cook well or if he just, for some reason, just doesn't find favor with her anymore. He can get rid of her for any. Reason. That was the school of Hillel, and that was the prevalent teaching of the day. And then there was the other extreme, and that was from Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai, he was a lot more strict and conservative and rigorous in his approach to marriage and divorce. And this school of thought held that there were no grounds whatsoever for divorce, And so you had these two schools, Shammai, which was very strict, Hillel, which was very liberal. So they come to Rabbi Jesus, and they want to know, what side are you on? Because as they're testing him, and it is so foolish to test the master and to test the one who wrote the book, just so idiotic with men. They come to him because if he were to take the view of Hillel, then those who are from the school of Shammai will bash him. If he takes the role and the position of Shammai, then Hillel will bash him. But above all, if he takes a side, the other side knows that each side has flaws in its side. Each position has flaws. It's like political parties. Republican, Democrat, and if you line up with one completely, there are flaws in the party, and the other side likes to bring you down not only with the flaws but also with the people who are in the party. And so, what they're trying to do is to incriminate Jesus or to get him to incriminate himself by association. So, Jesus, what do you believe about divorce? So, oh boy, what's gonna happen? Is Jesus going to line up with Hillel? Is he going to line up with Shammai? What is Jesus going to do? i tell you what Jesus is going to do. He's not going to line up with this side or that side. He is going to stand on the word of God. Is anybody hearing me today? He's going to stand on the word of God. And that's why he says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, and he answered and said to them, have you not read There it is right there. He's calling them to the standard that does not change God's word. Uh, It's not about quoting a rabbi. It's about quoting the Bible. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And we got to be careful even about following people who quote the Bible because sometimes we who quote the Bible can quote the Bible with a spin on it, with a slant on it, with a bias on it. So we need to be as objective as possible. So when he asked them, have you read He knows that they have read it because they're spiritual leaders, but they really didn't listen and heed what they were reading because here's the thing. We can read the Bible. This is what Christy McClellan taught me, something she heard from Tony Evans. We can read the Bible, but do we let the Bible read us? Do we let the Bible have its way with us or are we just coming in with our Baptistic perspective or our Pentecostal perspective, our Methodist perspective, our uh, political perspective? Whatever it is, we have to acknowledge that we have biases and slants. We have preferences. But Lord, help me today to be as open as possible to let you speak and not my biases. So he asked these guys, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Oh boy, I love this. Jesus took them back to the Bible. Because a lot of times when people are talking about divorce, they don't want to talk about the Bible. But Jesus took them back to the Bible, and by doing so, he took them back to God. And he also took them back to the beginning. He says, because in the beginning, let me tell you what God set up. So what we see here is that Jesus believes that the Bible is the word of God. Although what Moses wrote was thousands of years before Jesus came, Jesus still quoted and believed what Moses wrote because what Moses wrote was the word of God and Jesus stood on the word of God. He believed that the Bible was inerrant, infallible, and inspired. He stood on it. And I wonder where many of us as Christians stand today. Do we believe that this really is the word of God? Or are we trusting more in the words of men and what culture has to say today? A lot of people want to remove God out of discussions, but as Christians, we bring God into the discussion. Now, we need wisdom when we do that. We don't want to come in swinging, and then somebody got a KJV print on their forehead when we walk away. But we don't shy away from bringing in what thus saith the Lord. I like how Dr. Rimechisel, as he ministers in Vanderbilt, as one of their doctors there ministering to children, he's able to go in and share biblical principles without quoting the Bible. He's able to serve people in the name of Jesus without letting them know, I'm a Christian and that's why I'm doing this. And so we are the salt. We are the light. Let's sprinkle the salt and see some folks get thirsty for Jesus. And so Jesus stood on that word and he took them back. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to God. Let's go back to the beginning. All if couples who were struggling would take some time to go back to the Bible take some time to go back to God, to go back to the beginning when y'all first met. Oh, if you could just go back. When Adam and Eve first met, it was on like hot butter piss off porn, but oh my, we don't want to go back too far. (laughs) But you got to go back, man. Blow the dust off those wedding albums and come on, let's go back and let's remember why we fell in love in the first place. Let's go back before the cares of life began to wash out the love that we had for one another. Oh, I think Andre Crouch said, take me back. If I could sing it, I would right now, but let me keep on preaching. That's my job. (laughs) Don't say amen so loud, brother. (laughs) From Jesus, we see a couple of things about marriage. We see that marriage is a divinely appointed union. God created marriage, not man. So from Jesus, we learn that marriage is a divinely appointed union because he said that he made them male and female. He's the one that brought Eve to Adam. He's the one who joined them in the Garden of Eden. So it is a divinely appointed union, and we cannot have man, whether saved or unsaved, redefine the union that God established. Secondly, we see that it's to be a male and female union. He made them male and female. He didn't say male and two or three females. He didn't say a female and two or three males. He said male, singular, female, singular. One man, one woman. He did not say one man and a man. He did not say one woman and a woman. He said one man and one woman. This is God's covenant. He has the right to define it as such. Can somebody say amen? This is why, amen, amen. This is why when we, somebody will say from the world, you know, Jesus never condemned homosexuality. Well... There's an error with that statement because the entire Bible is the word of Jesus, not just the red letter parts. So that's number one. Number two, he didn't have to condemn homosexuality because we knew what he stood for when he stood for marriage between one man and one woman. So when you just use deductive reasoning, you would say, wow, I see what he's for, so I obviously know what he's against. So we're not going to add anything to the Bible. The book of Revelation says when you do that, you're going to bring a curse on yourself. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. We know what Jesus stood for. And then we see that this is to be a physical union. One man, one woman becoming one flesh. And that's the part that get a lot of folk in trouble. Huh? You don't have to say amen on that, but it's the truth. That's the part that get a lot of us in trouble because some of us are trying to act married without being married. We're trying to get the benefits of marriage without having the covenant commitment of marriage. And we wonder why our relationships don't work out because we're asking God to bless a mess and he will not be mocked. So come out of living together. Come out of shacking up. Come out of fornicating and wait to get married before you have sexual relations with anybody. Amen, walls. Amen, lights. Amen, pulpit. God knows what he's doing. When he says not to do something, it's to protect us. When he says to do something, it is to bless us. And so he created Adam and Eve, and he blessed them. And out of this physical union, in many marriages, if not most marriages, you have the potential to have children. You have the potential. Now, we know every couple cannot have children, so that's not an indictment against them, but God can still do a miracle between the X and the Y chromosomes and all that kind of stuff when a man and a woman come together. Uh, That thing ain't happening with two men or two women being together. So we have the possibility for children, but then we also see marriages to be a permanent union because God is like, when I join you together, which means to be stuck like glue in the Hebrew, Uh, Like if we had some gum that was embedded in the carpet, if you pull the gum out of the carpet, there's going to be some gum in the carpet and some carpet in the gum because it's been stuck together. And so God is like the way a husband and a wife come together, they are stuck like glue. And this thing is to be permanent until death will do them part. And then according to Paul in the book of Ephesians Marriage is to be a spiritual union for Christians because people ought to look at my relationship with my wife and see how Christ loved his church. So ultimately, it's not about me, but it's about how Christ looks shining through me, through us in my marriage. Uh, So Jesus, when they asked him about divorce, I love Jesus. He didn't even answer their question about divorce. He started talking about marriage. That's when people get mad with me sometimes. They come in my office mad, can bite nails in half. and I start talking to them about marriage. That ain't what they want to hear. Now, one of the spouses may want to hear that, but I can tell quickly from the steam that's rising from the head of the other that that ain't what they want to talk about. But, hey, let's go back to the Bible. Let's go back to God. Let's go back to the beginning. Man, let's go to the door. That's what a lot of them say. I don't want to hear nothing that preacher got to say. But, hey, man, it's all good in the hood. It's gravy, baby. (laughs) So when asked about divorce, Jesus upheld. Listen to this. I'm going to teach today, so hold on. He upheld the ideal of marriage. They asked him about divorce. He upheld the ideal of marriage. And what is that? One God, one man, one woman one flesh, one book, one spirit, one purpose together. He upheld the ideal of marriage and that's a good thing. Well, the conversation should have been over right there, but these guys kept pressing because in verse 7 it says they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away. I told y'all the conversation should have been over, right? But they said, why then did Moses command that we give a certificate of divorce then? Jesus, you're talking about this ideal and this permanency. They picked up what he was saying. The disciples would pick it up later in verse 10 that Jesus was speaking about a permanent covenant. Oh boy. And so the disciples were like, man, it's better for me to stay single than to get up in there and not be able to get out. But before we throw Jesus into the school of Shabbat, let's hold on for a minute because one of the tactics of the enemy is to try to make God appear to be strict, overbearing, or legalistic. So, so let's, let's, you know, God is sound. God is firm. But God is not overbearing, rigorous, or legalistic. So, so let's hold on. So when they say to him, why then did Moses uh, command a certificate of divorce? What we see here from these preachers is that they totally disregarded what Jesus said because people with an agenda do not listen. Oh, that's good. People with an agenda, they ain't listening. You can talk to them and talk to them but they're already formulating their response and their return because they're not there to learn. They're there to test him, to trip him up. They had an agenda, and when you have an agenda, you don't listen to God. You don't listen to God's people because, you, man, you, you, you got to get the where you're going. It's about what you want. So, man, I, I run into those people all the time. And so an objective reading of Deuteronomy 24, which is, The passage that has caused so much of the the, the schools of thought, verses 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy 24, an objective reading will reveal that Moses did not command divorce. Moses' command was against people who give their wives a divorce, and those wives go out and marry someone else and then that man divorces that wife or that man dies, his command was against marrying the woman that you divorced the first time after she's been married to somebody else. He said that that defiles the land. Now, we ain't even going to dig into all of that, but that's what the command was against. Don't marry your ex after your ex has been with someone else. Woo, man, it was silent when Moses said it just like it was silent with (laughs) y'all. Some of y'all started thinking about that. Y'all were like, wait a minute. Ooh, wow. Okay, come on back. Come on back. Come on back. <laughs> Verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. All right, stop and pause right there. They used the word command because they're legalists. They, they, they make the Bible say what they want it to say. Jesus says, no, let's look at the Bible in its true context. Moses permitted divorce. And I'm even going to tell you something that Deuteronomy doesn't tell you because I'm the master of all things. I know why I allowed him to write that in, there in the first place. And that is because y'all's hearts were hard. But then he calls them back to the ideal. But from the beginning, it was not that way. So God did not introduce divorce into the game. Man introduced divorce into the game. And God allowed it to be introduced as an act of grace, listen, so that people don't kill each other. He saw that people's hearts were hard. So let me see if I can get into this real quick. So Moses permitted divorce with God's blessing. Because people's hearts were hard. Now, in the Greek language, hardness of heart is a word that speaks of scoliosis of the cardia, hardness of the heart. You know, when someone has scoliosis, that means that their cells are hardening. You know, so the heart has become hard. But what amazes me is that when people get married, they don't get married with a hard heart. We get married with a soft heart. Nobody stands up on the altar on that wedding day. I'm just mad, I'm just... No, they're up there happy, smiling, cheerful, heart all soft and tender. They dancing at the reception, drinking out of slippers. Well, maybe not at y'all's reception, but doing all kinds of crazy stuff because their hearts are soft. And so when their hearts got hard because they didn't deal properly with infraction that happened on Monday and an infraction that happened on Tuesday, an infraction that happened... Because they didn't have good conflict resolution skills, Their hearts develop a callousness over them, and they let things go and go and go and go until they lost feeling in their heart. So when I meet with people who want to get married, one of the main things I talk to them is, you've got to learn how to resolve conflict, because it's coming. You're not going to just wake up and just start dancing and floating through the room on love and all this stuff. No, 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 no. You, man, you left your socks Man, put the toilet and see what happened to that $10 I had on. It, it's gonna be some stuff. You raised your fuss. I didn't raise my but That's how I talk. My mama talked like this. Well, you don't live with your mama. Well, maybe I should go live with my mama. Go ahead then. That, that, that kind of stuff. It happens. So people would get these hard hearts they didn't know how to daily, momentarily heal them. The hardness of heart was first, watch this, towards God, not the spouse. Because God didn't create you for marriage. He created you for him. And that's why he says, I am your husband in Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5. So your first and greatest relationship is with me. So if your heart is hard towards your spouse, it's just an indicator that your heart is hard with me. Because there's no way you can be wrong with your spouse and right with me. The only way you can have grace to be right with your spouse is when I give you grace as you're right with me. That's how we walk through differences and difficulties in our marriage. Because we're first and foremost connected to God. So God is like the hardness of heart. Y'all are really hard towards me. And it's manifesting in hardness towards your spouse. Because if you got with me, I would talk to you about the hardness that's in your heart. But since you won't get with me, you let this thing persist and build up. You are cut off from your spouse, and you're cut off from me as far as fellowship is concerned. So the question is, how do people who have hard hearts in marriage get their hard hearts soft again? That, that's a whole nother sermon, but maybe you and the Lord can work through that this week. How do I get my heart soft again? But I want you to go here with me in your mind. Couples who would have marital problems would line up to come see Moses. Now, remember in the book of Exodus, when Moses would meet with people, they would stand in line for days because it was millions of people. This was before Moses delegated authority to his elders and to his leaders. People would just stand in line to see the man of God because he talks mouth-to-mouth and face-to-face with God. He's going to write the scriptures. He does all these miracles, all this stuff. So if you in line with your mate, and y'all are having trouble. Hopefully you can make it till you sit down with Moses because you might tear something up in line before you even get to Moses. So once you do get to Moses, and the man of God who has great wisdom from God, he talks to God in the cloud, he gives you wisdom. Yet, your heart is so hard towards God, you can't even hear what Moses says because you don't even want to work it out with your spouse. You walk away from the man of God worse than how you came to the man of God, which is why Moses looked at y'all and said, wait a minute, y'all are not only hard-hearted towards God, y'all are hard-hearted towards each other, and some of y'all got the nerve to be hard-hearted towards me. Hey, let me give you this certificate of divorce and get up out of here. Y'all ain't going to kill me up in here. You got to think of it like that. And Dave, you don't want to hear God. If you can't get help from Moses, you just don't want to be helped. So it ain't always the counselor's fault. You know, that counselor, you know, Pastor Chris, Pastor Daryl, Pastor John, them jokers don't know what they're talking about. It may be that your antenna has not been tuned to heaven 777 for a long time. So when we start talking to you, there's all kind of fuzz and you you can't hear. Your heart's so hard because you and God aren't right. So when we start trying to connect you back to God first, we don't try to fix the marriage because that's just a symptom to what the deeper problem is. The deeper problem is you and God aren't right. So when we tell people you need to get back with God, let's not even talk about your spouse right now. Wait a minute. What? 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 God freed me with this a long time ago, Strong Tower. Because when I was young in the ministry, Dyson, Brandon Dyson, can tell you this. The times I thought about quitting was after counseling sessions with couples who didn't want to get right. The times I thought about quitting the ministry, it wasn't after, man, you know, being out in the hood, ministering or traveling overseas in Nigeria, wondering if I'm going to get left over there. No, no, it was working with Christians in the counseling office, in my office, because they would not only be so mad with each other, they turn around and be mad at me. I'm just trying to cast my pearls out there, you know, cast my pearls. They turn around, try to me to pieces. I'm like, wait a minute here. I didn't start this problem in your marriage. <laughs> but you're technically mad with God and you try to take it out on God's man. But none of that going to happen up in here today. I need to let you know that because we believe in the ministry of laying on hands, all right? <laughs> it ain't going to happen up in here today. <laughs> you may pull that at home, but no, I'm not up in here. <laughs> so there have been some times, man, I wanted to walk away, but this is what God gave me. He said, Chris, it's not you. It's me they are rejected. Because watch this with Moses. Moses is giving certificates of divorce. Wait a minute. The man who had power from God to turn the Nile into blood? The man who had power from God to lift his hand and see a sea part? A man who had power from God to see manna come down from heaven and and quail come in? The man of God who had power to speak and the earth would open up and swallow up rebellious people? The man of God who could speak to a rock and water could come out? But he could not make one hard heart soft. He could do a lot, but he couldn't do that. Only you have that power. Moses can do a lot, but he can't do that one. I work for Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I had people come in, fix it right now. By the time it gets to us, it's flatlining anyway. It's, it's on life support. They come in, you know, limping. It, 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 it ain't much to it they want me to do what Naaman thought Elijah should have done. Just wave your hand over me. Just fix it. And when we tell them that our job is not to fix this, we're just trying to connect you to God because we believe God is the one who does the fixing. People get mad at us. (laughs) Oh, man. But I go home and sleep at night. I need to let you know that. I don't lose no sleep over you getting mad at me. But dig this, though. I got to say this. Moses gave certificates of divorce to people whose hearts were hard because his congregation did not have the spirit of God the way my congregation professes to have. (laughs) Let me take y'all back. Uh, Come on. Come on back with me. There was a time Moses said, I wish all of your people had the spirit. When the Spirit came on him and on his 70 leaders, because back in the Old Testament, before the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit did not rest on everybody, only select individuals, and his resting was conditional and temporary. But with the new covenant, with Jesus coming, pouring out his Spirit on all flesh, we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have help on the inside. So Moses' congregation... Man, they had hardness of heart, and he expected them to work through it without the Holy Spirit. How much more for my congregation who got the Holy Spirit? Can't he soften that hard heart? You got to let them know. And that's where it ha- Mm-mm, I, I'm not going to let God. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Wow. Or you'll have one spouse that'll say, okay, uh, I'm going to work with God, his Spirit, And we're praying for the other one. And that's when the spouse that is submissive to the spirit begins to wonder if they married an aint instead of a saint. That's when they start wondering. Like, I know the Holy Ghost working on me. But I think I married a question and not a Christian. I think I married a deceiver and not a believer. So you, you start wondering now. Because by their fruits, you're gonna know them. And nothing like marriage brings out the fruits that are in you. Marriage will either make you or break you. It will show whether or not you really know God. Yeah. Can the married people say amen? Oh, yeah. no. You better thank God you got God in your marriage. Because without God, my goodness, we be coming to visit a lot of y'all right now. Man, what happened? Man, I don't even know, man. I just, I just tripped, man. I, Man, how much more time you got, man? They say, I got 20 more years, man. All right, so now Jesus is going to introduce an exception. He fights for the standard, but he is going to introduce an exception, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, Except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Wow. Jesus. The great exception clause. Here's the ideal. But here is the ordeal. Here's the ordeal because, man, ordeals happen in marriage and he introduces the exception of sexual immorality. Now, the word he used was different than the word we use for adultery because married people can commit adultery. But Jesus used a word that went much deeper than adultery. He used the word that Matthew wrote in the Greek, pornea. So when you see sexual immorality, That is the Greek word pornea. Some versions say marital unfaithfulness. It's the Greek word pornea. What does pornea sound like? Sounds like pornography. That's where the word pornography comes from. What is pornea? It is illicit sexual conduct. And it can cover a wide range of things, not just adultery. That's illicit and perverse. But it also covers a wide gamut of things like And these are things we have dealt with over the years. Homosexuality, bisexuality, haven't dealt with polygamy except when I went over into Africa and you're ministering to men who are married to various women in their tribes, then they get saved. Then you got to try to work out, you know, theology with them because this guy comes to Christ and he got five, six wives with him. And then that's when I'm thankful to get on the plane and come back to America (laughs) and leave that situation to the pastors in Africa to work through. But you got polygamy. Then there's incest. There's rape. There's pedophilia. Bestiality. Prostitution. On and on and on. Addiction to pornography. But listen to this, though. So Jesus says, except for punea, Because there are times when marriages become inflamed with pornea. But I don't believe Jesus is talking about a one-time act of pornea. I think Jesus is talking about a lifestyle, a pattern, a habit, ongoing sexual immorality that violates the sacredness of the Marital Covenant. Because it tears down trust and it introduces, listen to this, the violated spouse to a wide array of pain and problems. So Jesus talks about an exception. But hold on, don't go anywhere just yet. I want to stop here and say that even when divorce is allowed, in the case of sexual immorality, it is never required nor commanded. So although you could, doesn't mean that you should. Hang with me. You could get a divorce, but that doesn't mean you should get a divorce because you should forgive as you've been forgiven. What is required and commanded of us is forgiveness. And I am blessed to say that I know many couples that have not only survived pornea, but they are thriving today. So it is possible you can make it through. But we also need to acknowledge that there are some marriages that did not make it uh, due to ongoing sexual immorality because the violated spouse had reached his or her limit of forbearance. So, in other words, they've forgiven, they've forgiven, they've forgiven, but they reached the limit where it's like, okay, I forgive you, but I can't trust you anymore. It's kind of like if uh, you have a marital situation, pornea, and the person leaves the house. They say, I'm sorry, and want to come back into the house, come back into the marriage. Someone with a lot of grace from Jesus can say, I forgive you, and I let you back into the house. And marriages have made it. But then there are others who say, you know what? I forgive you on the porch, but I can't bring you back up in the house. Not just yet, maybe not ever, because I don't know if I can trust you yet. Now, those of us who are really spiritual, and we got a lot of endurance and forbearance, we tend to judge that person that don't want to let the other person back in. But you better be careful now because God is able to make that person stand. You leave that person alone because their limit is different than your limit. Your limit is different from their limit. You just pray for them. And you aren't married to the person that they're married to. You aren't walking in their shoes. So mind your business anyway. But some people say I can go on, other people say I can't go on no more. This is just the real stuff that happens. Nevertheless, Jesus is very clear on the one exception that can lead to a divorce. But, Pastor, are there other acceptable divorces mentioned in Scripture? Real quickly, yes. Number one, there is abandonment by an unbeliever. If a Christian, two people uh, get married and they don't know God. Then one of them comes to Jesus, and they're growing, but the other one stays lost. And then that one says, I'm tired of all this Jesus stuff. No, I don't want to go to church. No, 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 no. Matter of fact, I want out. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7.15 that the safe spouse is not obligated to be married to the unsafe spouse. If the unsafe spouse wants to leave, let him go. So a divorce can be granted at that time. But then secondly... Here's the one that gets tough. You got to go to 1 Corinthians with me on this. I'm going to sit down in a second. I'm coming to a close. Here it is. There is a concession for women. Mm. I didn't learn this in seminary. I didn't learn this in the books that I read about marriage. I learned this in the street or the ministry of hard knocks. That's where I learned this at. I started reading the Bible. I said, whoa, wait a minute here. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11, seems to give women a concession that men don't have. Could it be because women are the weaker vessel? Could it be that women are to be the ones primarily loved upon by the man who is to love like Christ? I don't know. But read this with me. It says, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. So Jesus told Paul this. Let me stick a pen here. This is why I don't really believe in apostles today. Because I don't really trust people who say God told me stuff. I, 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 and, and, and it's new revelation. I'm going to trust a dude that saw Jesus on the Damascus Road uh, say that Jesus told him something. I'm not trusting a dude that got a church with 10 people saying he an apostle and God spoke to him. Uh, excuse me. All right. Let me get on back in here. <laughs> now, to the merit I command, yet not I but the Lord, Jesus told me this, A wife is not to depart from her husband. The ideal, stay in there. Verse 11. But, (laughs) ordeals come. I know we got the ideal, but may ordeals come. But, even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Stop right there. So, if this is for what the world would say today irreconcilable differences, And the sister's like, I just can't stay with this guy anymore. I'm getting out. Okay, if you get out, we must encourage you to stay unmarried. Because God still sees you as married even though the courts granted you a divorce. So God has not loosed it on earth because regardless of what the judge says and the paperwork says, God says you're still married. So don't get married to somebody else because he still sees you married to this guy. But if you had to get out to save yourself, okay, stay unmarried or else be reconciled back to your husband. Mm, mm, mm. All right, Pastor, what about abuse, man? The Bible doesn't explicitly talk about abuse could this passage be talking about abuse? It very well could be. Because women for the most part are the victims of abuse more than men are. Men get abused. We deal with them in this church. But for the most part, women are the recipients of abuse. Now, now here's what I've learned about abuse. The abuser never wants a divorce. The abuser doesn't want it. the abuser, which is usually the male. He wants it to stay just the way it is, because he doesn't love the person. He loves the control that he has over the person. So he don't want a divorce because he got his kingdom rolling, and he don't want the kingdom frustrated because he's got his vassal and his slave in place. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh, it's real quiet. Hang on. The abuser number two looks down on counseling and doesn't want to go. The abuser hardly ever wants to go to counseling because the abuser doesn't want to be exposed. And the abuser, you can't tell him or her anything anyway. So that's, why am I going? It's a waste of my time. I ain't going to learn nothing. Oh, man. Wow. This is what we do. But here's what happens, though. When the abused spouse starts getting counsel, whether it's therapeutic, professional, Christian, or pastoral, and they start getting better and stronger... They go back home a little different, and they don't take that abuse the same way they used to take it. And then all of a sudden, the abuser recognizes something is going on. Now they're threatened by the counselor, or they want to come and lay hands on the counselor. Again, I said, don't try that up in the church, though. <laughs> I'm saved. But I had one guy come, man, and I, I said to, to my secretary, this was years ago. I said, now, I don't trust him. He didn't want to come up in here. He's finally coming. Now, if he puts his hands in his pocket, I'm coming over the table, and it's going to be me and him. I did not trust the man, because hard-hearted people will do anything. You're not going to read, Pastor Chris got took out in his office during a counseling session. You ain't going to read that about me. You might read, I slipped down some stairs, cracked my head or something. Nobody taking me out in a counseling session. Because number three, the abuser misuses the Bible in order to control the spouse. You can't teach the abuser the Bible. that They know the Bible. And, and, and the worst kind of abuser is a spiritual one. Because they like to take one verse, way out of context, and just stay on that one verse. Forget the broad context. Forget the whole counsel of God. God hates Divorce. And they'll say that, thank God, hates divorce. Yeah, he does. But obviously, if you read the Bible, he allows it. So let's look at the context of why he said what he said. Of course, he hates divorce, but he loves divorced people. He allows divorce to happen. But if you're just holding on to this and you're not looking at all the other scriptures about forgiveness and humility and all that stuff, you are an abuser. And we've had many of them come through Strong Tower They're not here anymore, praise God. They're one-verse people. But dig this, though. This is going to blow your mind right here. When they say, let me get a sip of water before I say this one. This is going to mess some of y'all up. (laughs) When they say God hates divorce, in other words, man, my spouse wants to get a divorce. He hates it. Well, dig this, though. God, who hates divorce, is a divorcee himself. God's a divorcee. What? Now, when the kingdom of Israel split in 931 B.C., there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. So God had a relationship with the northern kingdom that he likened unto a marriage. But the northern kingdom began to prostitute itself with various gods in the land committing spiritual adultery against God. God loved on the backslider. God loved on his bride. God loved on the backslider, saying, Return, come to me. And when the northern kingdom would not, God, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, wrote the northern kingdom a divorce decree based on immorality of a spiritual kind. And he hoped that the southern kingdom, Judah, would learn from her sister because God don't play. So when we say, man, God hates divorce. I bet you he hates it because he knows what divorce feels like. I don't know one divorced person who doesn't hate divorce. So let's stop trying to use that verse as a way to just try to stranglehold people. It don't work here. Number four, the abuser never wants to admit that he or she is sick. They're not sick. You're sick. And Jesus can't help anybody who thinks that they're well. Number five, the abuser minimizes his or her own faults and exaggerates his or her spouse's faults. That's how you know you're an abuser, when you deflect. Like Wonder Woman, she got them braces, I'm just deflecting everything. Ain't nothing getting through to me. I'm good in the blame game. It's your fault. It's not about me, it's about you. They minimize if they do talk about it. It's after you done painted 500 pictures for them to see that sin. Then they say, okay, all right. But, wait a minute, hold on. Can you own what you do wrong? And then when they talk about their spouse, they exaggerate it. Oh, man. An abusive spouse who professes to be a Christian and is a member of a local church, listen to this, may be a candidate for church discipline, according to Matthew 18. In rare cases, the abusive spouse can be, and that's whether that's abuse is, again, verbal, physical, mental, emotional, financial, all kinds of different cases of abuse. If the church steps in, and we then classify, because Jesus says, if they don't listen to the church, treat that person like a, not a, like a publican or a sinner. I'm about to say Republican. <laughs> Freudian slip. In other words, treat them like people that don't know God. Yeah. Because if you really know God, you'll hear God. But if you're not hearing God, that must mean you don't really know God. So Jesus said, put them out of the church. Don't let them be in the church acting like they're part of the church when they don't want to submit to the church. Put them out. In other words, treat them like an unbeliever. Now, we hope that they get their behind kicked out there by Satan and come back to God in fellowship. But sometimes when they go out, that's just proof that they were never part of us and that they were the devil's kids masquerading as God's kids. So at that point, after looking at it for a, a period of time, the church can classify that person is spiritually dead and loose. He gives us the keys to bind and to loose. When I marry people, I bind them, and then I can speak over a person in my office. If two agree on this situation, there I am. Loose that person from that dead person, and they're free to go. I, I, that was too much. I gave you too much with that. But look at it for yourself. In conclusion, let me get out of here. (laughs) To the abused, God is a healer and a defender. You You have power because you have God. And I believe God cares more about you than he does about your marriage. Some people are just in the marriage, in the marriage, and you're dying. Now... I'm not saying run for divorce, but some of you may need to separate for a period with the church's encouragement and covering so that you can survive and catch your breath. Don't you hang in there because you're trying to please religious people who will never be pleased. If you need to, man, you, if you need to jet, jet. That means Leave. Finally, y'all, I'm, I'm done. I know the children's ministry, they're mad, babies are crying. Whether we are divorced, remarried, married, widowed, or single, we must stand for the ideal of marriage that Jesus endorsed while recognizing that certain ordeals can happen that may or may not lead to divorce. That's a balanced view. Regardless, I pray that this church remains a safe place for divorcees. God loves divorcees. You do not come in with a scarlet D on your chest here in this church. No, no, no. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. God's grace is enough. There is life after divorce, and sometimes there is another spouse after the divorce. I want you, as you stand to your feet right now, stand to your feet. I trust the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to conclude. I was going to open up the altar, all that good stuff. But let's make the altar our hearts and especially our homes. I want you to bow your heads right now. Close your eyes. I want you to listen to God. I gave a lot of information. As soon as the sermon is up online, listen to it online. Take notes. Not only for yourself, if you're in a troubled marriage, but also for someone you may know who is in a troubled marriage. But above all, I want you to listen to God. He has something to say to you. For some of you, he's telling you right now to repent and stop sinning and violating your marriage covenant. He's telling some of you, before it becomes public, you need to deal with it in private. For some of you, your sin is public. He's saying stop it. Don't play with God. He's a consuming fire. Repent. If you listen to him, turn. He's saying to some of us, forgive. Release them. Don't condemn. He's saying to some, forgive yourself. For the divorce, forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. Forgive yourself. He may be telling somebody, take him back. Take her back. Listen. He may be telling somebody, hang in there. He may be saying to someone else, get out of there. Separate. Get some professional help. Get some spiritual help. You might even need to get some legal help. I trust the anointing of God that he will teach you things that no man can teach you. Father God, we, we just want to take time today just to try to cover this. Thank you that you can work past my ramblings. Your spirit can do what he wants to do. He can bring insight and healing and conviction and all the things that he does. I thank you Lord that you are the great reconciler reconciling us to you and us to one another there's nothing too hard for you we thank you Lord for the ideal we also thank you for standing with us as we sing today you'll never leave us even in the ordeal your grace is enough may Strong Tower be a place where both realities are understood and that we love well continue to lead us and show us your way Speak to your people today throughout the week. May we not harden our heart when we hear your voice. May the crows not come and steal this word, but may it go down deep and produce fruit. Protect marriages in here. For those of us who are thrown around the divorce word, may we take it out of our vocabulary. Bless, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you have a great one. If you need to just sit and come before the altar, we'll keep it quiet here today. We understand.